The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Uh, Before I start, I would like to remind you If you are so inclined to please subscribe to my podcast, you can subscribe on Apple. Um, There's a, I've had, I had a listener ask me yesterday how they don't understand how to subscribe. So if you're listening on Apple, it's like a little purple button. You go on Apple, like you're going to listen to the podcast. You scroll all the way down. And if you are so inclined, please leave me five stars and a review. And there's a button on the side where you can hit subscribe. I know a lot of my listeners in Europe and other places listen on Spotify. Please leave me a review. Subscribe that way. Um, Amazon, Google, wherever you're listening, or if you're listening on my website, judgingmegan.com. I always appreciate all of my listeners. I appreciate your questions. Um, Something that I wanted to uh, point out before I start again is I am now pushing all of my episodes to YouTube. And when I tell you it, I want to reiterate the fact that if you want to see Megan judge son's makeup looking not my best, watch me on YouTube because I usually am in a rush and I'm, you know, running to get ready to record and I don't ever put on makeup so you can see my true self son's makeup. Um, I would like to introduce my guest today. His name is Perry Powers, which is one of the best names I've ever heard in my entire life. It's kind of, it sounds like a character out of a movie. So welcome, Perry. How are you? Hey, Megan. Yo, I'm doing fantastic. I, I get it a lot because I come from the acting industry and the amount of people, other performers, agents, cast and directors would I say, so when did you make your stage name? I'm like, I think you know, I'm, I'm nearly 28, so 28 years ago, you know, when I was born. Um, I think my dad had big it's plans for me. It's a great name. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great name. Um, well, Perry, I know that you, you're you coming on today. I love that you reached out to me. And um, we're going to be talking about something that's very difficult to talk about. Uh, part of the reason that I do this is because if we help, I don't even care if it's one listener out there with your story and they decide that they want to come forward and, or talk to somebody or get help or go to therapy or whatever they want to do. Just sharing your story can help so many people that you don't even know to what extent. So thank you again for coming on. Why don't we start with where you're from? I'm guessing you are not from the United States of America. That's just a little guess of mine. Can you tell? Is it obvious? (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I want your I'm, accent. I'm, from, I'm really jealous. <laughs> I'm from London, originally from London, moved out of London when I was 17 to a place called Berkshire, which is like, uh, I say the countryside, it's not country, country, like the Americans would call country, but it's just like a half an mm-hmm. hour drive from London. Uh, so, and I moved there f- when I was 17. 
Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your life growing up. Um, mm. I know that this is a difficult, um, before we begin, I just want to talk about that you have a book out. You've, you've also done a TED talk. Your book is called Breaking the Silence. We're going to talk more about this at the end of the episode, but I want my listeners to know that where they can find you, all of that information. But I would really like to just start with your story. I know the hard thing started in childhood, but I would like for you to share. Sure. Listen, I, I had a I had a great childhood. I had I had things that went wrong in childhood, but I also had many, many great things that happened too. So um my I'll sort of like bullet point it out. So my mother left when I was four, which left just me and my dad. And I would see my mum maybe once or twice a year for a number of years. Now we have a great relationship. We see each other all the time. It's all fantastic. But back then, it wasn't. So my dad raised me. Then a couple of years later, a, uh, a new lady came into his life, which then soon became my stepmom. She moved in. She filled those shoes. They got married. So that side of my family, the step side of my family, are all from South Africa. So they got married over there. I was like the best man. I was like nine years old, bossing the whole day, right? With the rings on my hand and everything. And um, when I was like 11 and a half, I was at my nan's house. Now, my nan is my dad's mum. So I was at my nan's house. And I was there with my stepmom and my stepgranddad. My stepgranddad being my nan's husband. And if you picture a living room with two sofas facing each other with a coffee table in the middle. And you're sitting on a sofa and depending on what sofa you're sitting on, the TV would either be on your right hand side or it would be on your left hand side, right? And you're watching the TV. My stepmom's on one sofa watching the TV. My stepgranddad's on the other sofa and I'm sitting on his lap with a blanket over us because it was cold watching the TV. Now, my stepgranddad used to smoke roll up cigarettes all the time. And my stepmom's watching TV and out the corner of her eye, she sees a cigarette drop onto the carpet. And she sort of looks and then doesn't take much notice. She goes back to the TV. And then sometime later, she f realizes that he hasn't leant down to pick up the cigarette. So she's looking and she sees it's now burning a hole into the carpet. Why is he not leaning down to pick it up? So she looks up at us and then she sees hand movements coming from him, but between my legs underneath the blanket. So my stepmom then sort of darts up. And doesn't know what to do. So she leaves the living room, goes into the kitchen, calls me, right? As if Perry come into the kitchen, I need you. Janish, I come in there. And then she uh, then takes me home, tells my dad. And then my dad then confronts me about what happened. And I don't remember, like, so that whole, here's the thing with trauma, right? Trauma blocks out certain things. Like, I remember, yeah. I remember, you know, different elements of the abuse. Most of the time... When my, when my step-granddad would touch me and film me and do whatever he wants to me, I was usually sitting on his lap watching the TV. That, was, that used to be our thing, right? But there was other things too, like groping and saying things into my ear and pressing up against me and what have you. But that was the primary thing. Now, that moment there, that scene that I just detailed out, I don't remember that scene. I don't remember my stepmom standing up. I don't, I don't remember that whole thing. I don't remember getting called into the kitchen. When I get taken home and have a conversation with my dad, I remember like like a like a like a snapshot of it, but I don't remember what was said. But from hearing it being relayed back to me, it was along the lines of my dad was questioning me and asking what was happening. And my dad said to me, right, after I told him, my dad was like, Right, I don't want you to go to school and tell your friends. Don't tell your mother, right, about what happened. It stays at home. And I remember at the time, like, what like, what on earth is your reaction for? Because at the time, what my step-granddad was doing to me wasn't wrong. It was just a form of love he was given to me that no other family member was given to me. Now, what we know that as is, you know, it's, it's a form of grooming. My step-granddad was grooming me for years. He he was like a hero in my world because he would take me down to the local pub. He would buy me crisps. He would play pool with me. He would let me drink his ales and his Guinness, right? He was an Irish man. And, uh, and he was like my idol. So I wanted to protect the man. And now my dad became the villain of the story by saying to me that I'm no longer not allowed to go around to my nan's house and see my step-granddad. So let, let me stop you real quick. Sure. 
you said this start did it start at 11 and a half so that's where it ended so it happened for about a year and a half so roughly from when i was like 10 ish uh, you know, nearly every time I go around there, something, something, whether it's small or whether it progressed a little bit, happened, and that just happened to be the the the, the last act. That's where it stopped. So he was grooming you. He was bringing you to pubs. He was doing all of this stuff. Yeah. Like no, obviously knowing what he exactly what he was doing. Of course. Of course. Had had he? Do you know? I, I hate to jump ahead, but he had he done this to other kids in the past, or were you? Yeah. The first? So there's a whole story behind this for sure. So okay, okay. So um, I'll, I'll get into that because then 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 all the things will get uncovered. The whole big picture yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I'm just asking because I usually when these men, women, whoever's doing it, there's, this isn't the first time. So there's, there's a whole like cycle of it. And I, and I also wanted to point out trauma and blocking trauma, especially in children, you know, and and how that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, how that's how our brain's just able to like block things out and go on. Right. Is that what you found? 100%. The brain is growing at that age. The wires are still connecting, you know, and when, and it's been scientifically proven that when trauma happens, at certain wires in the brain discourse, right? Mm-hmm. And they get mumble jumbled, if you want to use that phrase. And and especially when we're going through the, throughout those years, when the trauma happens, it can create these blockages. And it can create these lapses in the memory that either will never get uncovered or will get uncovered, whether it's through therapy or whether it's through a certain phrase that we hear on a TV, whether we see something in a movie, and it boom, it just uncovers. Okay. Yeah. A hundred percent. Just so you know, I went through not, not what you went through, but trauma as a child and same thing, completely blocked it out. And then it would come back in like pieces, like, just like you're saying, it used to be watching a movie or something. And you're like, well, I were, you were, it's weird how the brain's able to work and you can have memories so far back. Right. Yeah. It's like putting a bag of corn into the microwave and you just hear them pop. Right. Sometimes, uh-huh. you know, sometimes they're like, like popcorn, they're popping like that. And then, and then it takes yeah. a bit longer. And then, and that's literally just what it's like inside of our brain, you know, but obviously space out that a bit more in real life. Well, tell, so go back and I hated to interrupt you, but I just, I wanted to ask those, those few questions. And I'm, I obviously knew what this was about prior to recording. And I just need to tell you how sorry I am. And how brave you are to to share this story, like I talked about in the beginning, because I know that you're helping other other kids mm. and other maybe there's children out there that are having this happen to them. And usually kids don't listen, but at least parents or whoever it is can be aware enough to know that there might be something going on in the whole groom, grooming process, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's. I've been I've been doing this for for five years now, and mm-hmm. you know it's 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 definitely an interesting path uh, because to begin with, don't get me wrong, it was tough. Now it's it's um, I wouldn't use the word tough. It's it's just it's it's an experience, you know. Now, yeah, uh, because there's always something else to do to grow the movement. There's always something else to do to help somebody else break the silence. There's always something else to do, whether it's from a charity, whether it's another talk, whether it's something else. There's always more work to do, which has its pros and cons because one, it can make you feel like you're not doing enough, right? But at the same time, it can make you, you know, put even more light up your ass to get more shit done, right? So it's- 100%, yeah. It's, you know, it's a bit of a mix up. But when um, when my dad told me to to keep it at home, that is where the trauma yeah. started, right? Because trauma isn't what we go through, i.e. trauma isn't the abuse that we go through. Trauma is what happens after the abuse. It's like they say that it's not what an intruder takes from your home is what they leave behind. And what they leave behind is a trauma. So silence that we live in. And that effectively started when I was 11 and a half years old. But I didn't know, I didn't know um, the, the, the depth of what that silence was until I grew older until um societal like masculinity and social dynamics started to come into play and then when se- the topics of sexual abuse and rape and things like that would come into the news and the newspapers and i knew what it was 
boom, that's when there was some forced confrontation happening inside of here, inside of my mind. And then that is when, you know, the decisions I'm going to face it on now or I'm not. And in the beginning, there was a lot of I'm nots, which then caused me to wear masks so I can further run away from the boy who was abused. So people Mm -hmm. in social groups don't get that about me, you know. And it was definitely, as as the years went on and became a teenager and I went into college, that's where it definitely started to take an effect, for sure. Well, tell me about that. So, because you're telling kind of the end of the story, not, and I know you're going to go back to it, but it does make sense that you're, you know, you push things down and you don't want to remember. It's a weird thing where you're like, I know that this happened. I I have to remember it. I don't want to remember it. And something that I just wanted to point out too that you just said is when you are a survivor of trauma and then you tell your story and you're telling it like for, I mean, I, I go on other podcasts and I've shared, been sharing my story now for several years. It's like, you could catch catch me on a day and I'm just like talking to you, Perry, and I'm like, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and it's totally fine. But you might catch me on a different day sharing my, my story, my past, and I could burst out crying because some little thing that I hadn't thought, thought about in forever is going to trigger me. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that happens with you. Um, it, I've, I've like reflected on this to see where I lie. And I, um, especially now, I think my, that I can look back on the abuse and I can play it in my head like it's a movie and it doesn't affect me. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I have had issues with, and I think, you know, maybe some of it's linked to the abuse and maybe some of it's linked to my mom leaving when I was four is things like rejection. So if, if like my last relationship when, when my, my then girlfriend left me, it, you know, made me suicidal. It was horrific. Right. So things like that, which my reaction to it is like way out there. Right. It's an unhealthy reaction that has been caused for, for for a reason because there's wounds that haven't healed yet. And then it's diving into, okay, well, why? Is it because I still feel rejected for my mum leaving when I was four? That I feel rejected for my dad passing away, you know, in 2017? You know, do I feel like I'm not loved by them? And then, well, if I don't feel like I was loved by them, because why else would my mum leave when I was four? You know, why would my dad put his life down a drain when he knows he's got a family? He obviously didn't love us this much. My girlfriend's just left. Oh, rub it in my face why don't you just again and again and again those issues there um i have struggled with and i'm not a saint i probably will struggle with it if something happens again um but that's why i say that healing is a lifelong journey to people because you know you may be like okay well i don't get like flashbacks anymore and it doesn't affect me i'm like well that's great but there may still be other things way beneath the surface that you wouldn't right now think is connected to the abuse but again, go back to that thing. It's not when an intruder takes from your home is what they leave behind. That essence of being leave, being left behind. There's things in there that could still be affecting the person you are today. Well, it's also the fact that you, um, you're, you're like we touched on. Your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25. They're now saying 27. So um, it makes sense when you have trauma as a child that you, I have abandonment issues too, like major abandonment issues. And it's caused by adverse childhood experiences, which I'm sure you understand. So when you're an ACE, you carry those things with you and you might be like, if one person goes through a breakup or something like that, they have a way easier time than somebody that's an ACE or gone through the trauma that you've gone through or I've gone through. It's just, that's it's in it's this was something that it's almost like a a deck of cards that you were dealt but like you don't have any other options or choices this is like a pattern correct correct yeah okay so let's go back and I'm sorry for like the sidebar stories but I did kind of want to ask you about those things so when you when you got to the age where you you know, that was the final straw with your grandfather. Tell me the, tell me kind of the beginning stages of it. You don't have to go into detail, but just, you know, you talked about the grooming process. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, as in whilst, whilst it was happening when he, is that what you mean? Or you talking yeah, after like the when, stopped? Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, tell me a little bit about like how this happened. You know, like you, you said it was going on for a year and a half. Uh What, what were the things that were like, nobody was paying attention to? Was he taking you in secret places? Like, I just kind of wanted to get what was happening there. I see. Well, I think that's, um, he would take me on, you know, we would go on like walks and he would take me down to the local pub, which was called the stag. And he was like the, one of the locals, like a pub local. He was there all the time mm-hmm. because they were alcoholics. My nan and him were alcoholics. They always had been. So he would take me there regularly, nearly, you know, I say nearly every weekend, maybe, maybe every second weekend, he would take me down there. And that's, you know, there was things of the grooming there. Like I said, letting me drink his 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 ales and stuff when the barman wasn't looking, making it seem cool. Mm-hmm. And when we was back at his, he would um, take me outside into the garden because not many people, like my nan, wouldn't really go out there and stuff like that, and have chalk ices and and um, and that was a lot of the grooming stuff there. And then he would, you know, when he wasn't, when nobody was looking or nobody was around, he would sort of like film me on the outside of my trousers um whenever we would and it was always a thing as well whenever we're doing an activity he would make it a thing we're being like right should we go and watch tv we can watch your favorite cartoon or you know you can pick whatever channel you want to put on and i would say yeah that sounds great and then he would sit in there and he would always make it a thing that whenever i come into the living room i can't sit on my own i need to come and sit on his lap he was always sitting on his lap and uh and then if nobody was in the room, you know, he would feel me there. We might breathe into my ear. Like I remember once I looked up at him when he had his hand on my trousers and he just did a shh like that. Right. Because, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was in the kitchen. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of the same things with him. Like I said, it was mainly D sitting on his lap ordeal. Um, but like, as I said before, with my stepmom was on the couch, you know, and that couldn't have been the first. There's a chance that that could have been the first time he'd done it with somebody in the room, but chances are it wasn't. And this is the thing. When I get into the story, you would understand that sometimes people, it's like when a couple want to have sex in public because of the thrill of getting caught. It's obviously not exactly the same, but the element of the thrill of getting caught, right? That was sitting within him. That was one of his sexual turn-ons and pleasures. The element of maybe nearly getting caught and if we dive into my his story that happened in his childhood too, which I'll get into, and there was always people around, right? So that was what he was accustomed to. So he wanted, you know, he so it was a cycle. Yeah, it was a cycle. Yeah. Um. So tell me a little bit about him and his story. So I found out about his story because I was unable to move on with the abuse. So I after I broke my mm-hmm. silence, my dad had passed away. I broke my silence. But I was unable to move on. And I remember I got connected to a business friend of mine, connected me to one of his business friends. And his dad passed away about 12 months ago then. And he said to me that he couldn't move on from his dad's death because when his dad died, he was also an alcoholic. There was a lot of pain there. And he said, you have to find forgiveness. And that was like, I knew what forgiveness was, but I I didn't know what it was at the same time. And I was like, okay. And I dived into the act of forgiveness. I read books and, well, not specific books around forgiveness, but there was books where that was thread in through it. And Mm -hmm. he showed me this webinar as well around forgiveness. And I was reflecting on it. And I found, cutting the story short, I found forgiveness myself, found forgiveness in my dad. And I found forgiveness with myself too, with the abuse. You know, oh, what kid would allow himself to get felt up for a year and a half? Right, he must have enjoyed it. Right, all these things were used to go through my mind, but then I found forgiveness for myself. But then I still wasn't able to move forward because I didn't want to look at any pictures of my step granddad. And whenever I thought about my nan, I would think of him. Did not make me not want to think about my nan. So I was like, okay, well, I need to find forgiveness with him too. And I was like, ah, oh. now I'm gonna I'm gonna explain this to to the listeners because this is exactly what people are gonna be thinking and a lot of my messaging now and it has been for the last five years is around finding forgiveness right so this is exactly what my reaction was to begin with and I was like why on earth do I want to forgive him right he sexually assaulted me groomed me why do I want to forgive that guy I'm not letting him off the hook but then what we actually need to think about is the fact that the forgiveness has nothing to do with them forgiveness isn't letting them off the hook 
okay? Forgiveness has everything to do with you because you know that you're too bold, strong, powerful, and amazing to still be held back by that person's chains. Now, my step-granddad died two years after the abuse stopped. So 11 and a half, when that scene happened, he died two years later, a heart attack at work. And so I would have been 14 and a half, let's just round it to 15 years old. And I still, he was still holding me back. He's in the grave. He's in the ground, right? But why is he still controlling my life? Why is he still allowing the demons in my head to get louder and louder and louder? So I went on a path of forgiveness. Now, here's the thing. is like I followed a path that wasn't laid out for me. I just went with, I'm, you know, I'm going to fail moving forwards. I'm going to fail moving forwards. Now, I suggest a path to follow when it comes to finding forgiveness, hence what part of what the book is about. But for me, to really summarize it, is when it comes to forgiveness and how I ended up finding out about my set granddad's story was leading with curiosity, right? Let me lead with curiosity to try and gain an understanding as to why he abused me. There has to be a reason, is what I think. I said, there has to be a reason. There has to be. And people are like, yeah, but so what if there's a reason? Doesn't excuse it. But holding it, like I said, remember, it's not about him, right? If you can try to gain some type of understanding, try to paint a picture inside your mind to quieten down those thoughts, then maybe you can move on. So I then um, found out. So when I broke my silence, I put out a video. And uh, I went around to my aunties. When did when did you break your silence? So about five years, five pretty, years ago. So I was at the beginning. Five years ago, you said. Okay. I, so Because I was a little confused. So the 14 and a half, he passed he passed away. Yeah. You, when you were that age, you were tr- already trying to deal with the forgiveness piece of it, or did that no. come later? I'm no. Just, that came later. That, yeah, that okay. came, that came later. So, uh, you know, I'm trying, I'm running away from my story, running away from it, running away from it to about roughly the age of maybe, um, 20 years old, maybe 21 okay. was when I was like, right now it's time to confront it. Now, the reason why, uh, I decided to confront it now, I'm like two or three years into personal development at this point. And Lewis Howes brings out a book called Mask and Masculinity. And he's on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And he speaks mm-hmm. about how he was abused as a kid. And he grew up as this masculine male wearing these different masks. And he articulated it in a way that made me realize what I had been doing for the last certain amount of years, maybe from the age of like 17. So at that point, for like the last three or four years, I was doing the same thing. So what I decided to do was when my girlfriend at the time came back from work, I told her about the abuse. And then from her, three or four months later at a business mastermind conference, I told six other entrepreneurs about it. Then driving home, I was like, right, I need to tell the world now. Because now my 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 bubble of like comfort zone has been expanded because I've been surrounded by these people who are just living life large, right? And I'm like, right, I'm driving home now. I need to share my story again. And I was like, right, I'll do it when I get home. And I was like, well, hold on a second. No, you won't. Because as soon as you get home, you're going to walk in through the door. You're going to get back into your comfort zone. And you're going to tell yourself a story that you'll believe as to why you shouldn't do it again. Because you've already shared your story. Mm -hmm. Why do you need to do it again? So I pulled my car over, put my phone on the dashboard, hit record, took me seven takes, put my story out there. Now, I go go, uh, visit my family home and uh, I'm sitting over my stepmom. She says to me, we watched a video. I said, yeah. She goes, we didn't know it happened for a year and a half. And that made me realize that when my stepmom caught in it happening, took me home, and my dad questioned me, I made him believe that that was the only time it happened. I never let on to believe that it happened for longer. And you don't, and you don't remember that, which is so common. Yeah. 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 So, okay. so, and then I was like, that's crazy. And then a couple of days later, I went around to my auntie's house, who's my dad's sister. She in part raised me too. I was all, I was there every single day before and after school. So at that house, you've got my auntie and they live in London and you've got my cousin. My cousin's like six or seven years older than me. Her name's Kelly. And um, I went around there. My auntie's like, oh, we watched a video. I said, okay. And she goes, you know, you weren't the only one who was abused. And I was like, well, I know Kelly was too. Now I knew this the whole time. Kelly always said to me about how she was abused. Um, like when I mentioned earlier, we would be in the garden. In the garden, they had a shed. And my step-granddad would take my cousin into the shed a lot, right? And he never done that with me, though, but he used to do it with her. So my cousin, Kelly, would tell me about things growing up. So I said to my auntie, well, yeah, just it's me and Kelly. She goes, it wasn't just you two. I said, who else? She goes, it was me. So my auntie. She goes, and it was your dad. 
And then I sort of sat back in my sofa and I was like, oh, now it makes sense why my dad told me to be quiet. It made sense why throughout my teenage years, if I was to ever bring it up, he would shut me down. It made sense why he became an alcoholic. It made sense why in like March, April time in 2017, he left my house drunk and I texted him saying, why are you drinking so much, dad? And he said to fight away the demons. At the time, I was like, what demons is he talking about? And uh, it made sense why he became an alcoholic and he had a heart attack at the age of 48, very randomly, and died, dropped dead. And uh, he lived and died in silence. He carried that to the grave with him. And that became the moment. I was like, right, my purpose has just found me. I know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. You know, in part, my message while I'm on this planet, the voice that I have is going gonna, is gonna to be put out there to help people not go down the same path as my dad. So a long-winded way of saying, then I started to share my story constantly, constantly, constantly. And... Uh, and then I wrote a book and I was like, right now I'm, you know, I'm ready to get, I, I, I need my story to be famous. I need my brand to be famous, not for ego wise, because if it's not famous then not a lot of people know my story and it has to be, people need to hear it. So I ended up reaching out to journalists and then I got an article put into one of the biggest publications here in, in the UK called The Sun. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, right, there is a chance. And I don't know why this came into my head. I was like, but there is a chance that the family of my step-granddad is going to come across my story. Now, I haven't spoken to that side of the family since I stopped going around there. But even when I used to go around there, I never saw his side of the family. So I could effectively say that uh, I'd never really spoken to his family ever, my entire life, right? So so my fear was when they see me in the media, they're like, is he talking about our dad our uncle is he talking about my brother right because he's talking shit but we're going to take him to court or whatever whatever the thing was right that was my fear and i think to myself i'm just going to do it anyway i don't care right because when you're speaking your truth Mm -hmm. the consequences of living in silence far outweigh the consequences of breaking the silence i don't care what's going to happen my 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 story needs to be 100 my story needs to be put out there so my story goes out Mm -hmm. there a couple of days go by i get a message on facebook saying hey perry it's Sarah, it's your, it's Michael's daughter, right? And I was like, and I just put the phone down. It's a long paragraph. I just put the phone down. And I remember the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. I was like, shit, where's she going with this? Where's she going with this? And I pick up the phone and she then proceeds to say, just thought I'd let you know that you have the support of a whole family because he abused us too, right? And this is his daughter's, yeah. right? So then cutting the story short again, what ends up ends up happening is I going back and forth constantly with this with one of the the girls. She buys my book, so she buys a book about abuse from a man that's her own father, right? That's just crazy if you think about that. And I said to her, "Let's meet up." And I was very not surprised with myself, but I was very aware of the things that I was saying because I was thinking to myself, I could have gone down a different path. Because if I wasn't leading with curiosity, seeking understanding, trying to find forgiveness, his family would be villains too. I don't want to speak to his daughters because the father abused me. Don't care, right? But I was like, well, hold on a second. They could be victims too, right? It's like always try to take the emotions out of it and, and just step aside for one moment because you might be able to see a perspective that you would never have seen before. So I then went into back into London with Kelly, met up with the two daughters. And what I ended up finding out, you asking about my step-granddad's story, is have you ever seen mm. the movie called Spotlight? Yes, I have. Okay. So you know what it's about, yeah? Obviously. So yeah. Very, yeah. very, very, very quickly for the listeners who hasn't seen it, you have to see it. Spotlight is about a team of journalists or news reporters in Boston back in 2001 who get assigned to a case of a Catholic priest molesting a kid. Then what ends up happening, it wasn't just that one case with all the cover-ups. They then find out it's Catholic priests in the Catholic uh, um, churches and, and boarding schools all around the world molesting a lot of the kids. Yeah. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I then find out that at the end of the movie, just before the credits, they list, okay, all of the Catholic places around the United States that have had cases of molestation. Then they list the cities around the world with cases of molestation in Catholic churches. I find out 
that at the end of the movie, Cork in Ireland gets listed. Because the school that my step-granddad was sent to with his brother, they used to get raped and tortured by the Catholic priests. And it's called the St. Joseph's Industrial School in Cork in Ireland. That um, my step-granddad, his brother, got sent to there. And the two sisters, well, because the parents died, the two sisters got sent to a Catholic school run by the nuns. Now, all the girls there used to get beat. So one of the girls now, right, is blind in one... is uh, No, she's deaf in one ear because she used to get beat on the side of the head. So my step-granddad and his brother went to that school. Now, if you look online, you see reports. That school ended up getting closed down just like that. There was no letters sent out to the parents. It just got yeah. closed down one day, right? And what we would find is that some of the... um some of the, the, the brothers at that institution that used to molest the kids and rape the kids, they would then, which is spoken about in the Spotlight film, that instead of getting put into prison, the, the senior brothers would settle the case by saying, we will, we will move the brother to a different school. And there was actually a few cases in the St. Joseph's Industrial School where they moved, right, some of the priests who were molesting the kids to a school for blind children. Right. And they were moved to there. So it is a huge, disgusting underground ring. And that is a story of my step granddad. He was born in that environment where priests would come into the room where all of the kids are sleeping. They would knock on their chosen bunk bed and then the priest would leave the room and the boy would have to follow and have done whatever needs to be done to him. And then goes back into the room, and goes back to bed. And that was the environment that my step granddad grew in. Does it excuse him? No, because two people can live the same story and, and walk two different paths. Mm. I'm not excusing it, but it allowed me to have an understanding. Like, okay, I understand. I feel very sorry it's, for it's him. A, it's, a, it's a cycle. It's a cycle, And, and yes. let me just say, I did, I, I've been trying to be quiet because I did see Spotlight. Um, Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. There's so much corrupt. I mean, I'm Catholic. I'm, I'm my family, actually. My relatives are from Ireland, Cork, when you just mentioned Cork. To see the movie Spotlight was extremely upsetting. There's several documentaries about all of that as well, but just like to tie it all in and then also know how much corruption there is. And it, but like to be brought up Catholic and I personally go to church, it's hard. It's hard. I, I, my, my priest, I adore, like there's so many good priests out there, but there is this corruption in the Catholic church. And it's just like to watch that movie was just earth shattering. And then to find out, yeah, it is a cycle. It's a cycle. So it's like your, your grandfather or your step grandfather went through it. And then it's like normalized in the brain, but it's still not okay. And then to, to be able to find the forgiveness piece of it, which is huge. Like, I don't even know how you were able to do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me really. Or, or uh, as you've been telling this story, I've just been tearing up because it's so upsetting to know that this was happening to young kids, you know, in general, and then happened to you. It's just kind of leaves you speechless and 
not knowing what to say or or do. I I I hear that. I think when it comes to the forgiveness part of it, um, I think just for me, listen, you you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always control <clears throat> how you respond to it. And for mm-hmm. me, it's like, well, listen, if I don't want to forgive him that's fine because that's my choice but i know that i'd be better off if i did find forgiveness right because then because for me personally not you know everybody can follow my advice or not follow my advice right but for me it's like if you can find forgiveness then you can stand there you can be like okay i understand i feel sorry that you went through that okay but um and i do forgive you now if it was alive today right that doesn't mean i want to sit down and have coffee with him okay Mm -hmm. but like is what it is. He's a human being walking up, you know, whatever. But I have forgiven at that stage and I've moved on from it. It's allowed me to let go. And that's my stance on it. It it also makes me so sad because, it, you know, forgiveness takes a lot of strength. Um, It makes me sad and breaks my heart that, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough, Perry, to live in a time where it's okay to talk about our things. That's part of why I do what I do every week and share these stories and share my own stories of struggling with depression and suicidal ideations and all the things I went through. It's, it, we're, as time goes on, we're normalizing it. But then it, when I think about your dad, you know, and how he was hiding behind alcohol and you know had the heart attack and died at such a young age it's it's heartbreaking to know that he had this secret that he just couldn't come forward with and so it should make you feel really proud of yourself in a lot of ways that your your strength and being able to forgive is teaching other people that might have gone through the same thing that it's okay to talk about it and mm. I, I hate to say this because I just met you, but I'm sure your dad's really proud of you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure if he was alive, he, he would be. And, and tell me about the other members of your family. Like, have they been able to kind of like pick up the pieces and talk about it and get help and get therapy? Did you did have you been in therapy? throughout your life to deal with this well when i was at school a couple of maybe two two Mm -hmm. or so years after the abuse stopped um our english teacher was sick we had a substitute teacher come in and she gave the class an assignment to do and i was to write a short story and hand it in at the end of class and i don't remember doing this and i wrote a short story about a boy being abused by a family member and handed it in and uh social services got called in and my dad was furious and uh i got given a school counselor so i had a school counselor for a few years in school i don't i remember one or two sessions at most and i had quite a few Mm. of them but i don't remember them that's the only um professional help that i had but for me personal development is has been my help you know being alone my thoughts has been my help that has been my therapy meditation has been my therapy uh, that has been the path that I have followed for over eight eight years now, nine years now. In regards to the other family members, so the two that are, that are alive within our family, my auntie, my cousin, they haven't seek professional help for it. No, uh, they both still have wounds. That um, that's definitely you know my auntie's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, whether she likes to admit it or not, she is my mm-hmm. and she you know not happy with her life but she just ticks on as she says and then you have my cousin kelly who's a beautiful beautiful human being who soldiers on as a mother and she put her when when i did my story video she then sends me a text and says perry i want to do the same thing so i went round to my auntie's house we sat at the dining room table hit record actually i think we went live one of the two and she shared her story on video and she put her story in my book so she's broken her silence and i know given the opportunity she'll probably do it again but it takes a lot for her just to speak up about it because she she is still hurt by it i i I love that you pointed out earlier too and it just reminded me of you brought up lewis 
is it Lewis House? I follow yeah. him and he's a mental health advocate and a podcaster and written books. But what, what struck me is that you're sitting here telling me about him and him sharing his story. And then it inspired you to say, I'm going to share my story. Mm-hmm. And then every, does that make sense? So then you yeah, sharing yeah. your story could be, somebody could be listening to this and say, I'm going to share my story. And then the cycle continues. And that's sure. what it's really all about. Sure. It's what it's really all about. It is. When we share our story, we give other people permission to do the same thing. And, you know, and that's, that's why I share my story constantly. That's why, you know, my following has gone through the roof recently. And that's why the book is doing well, because it's, it just takes somebody to do something that people are wanting to do, but too scared to do it to show that they're, Hey, you mm-hmm. can do it too. Especially as a man who is not even in his thirties yet doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's mm-hmm. helping a lot of people. Well, um, as far as the forgiveness piece goes, um, forgiveness is really difficult. I have a lot of anger in my own life about things that have happened. And I am not at that place where I'm able to, I, 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 I feel like I'm blocked out as far as forgiving. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just not there. Mm-hmm. What, what are some things that you can tell people like, you know, your story is so difficult and just thinking about all the things you went through how, like how did you start like were there steps that you took where i know you talked about meditation can you kind of go into that yeah i um so the main thing that i tell people to do is so like when i first broke my silence it was to my girlfriend at the time now i would never recommend somebody doing that mm-hmm. because it's very dangerous territory because if you've been living in silence for 17 years and you decide to break that silence to somebody, the reason why that's dangerous is because if they give you a negative reaction, you're probably going to live in silence for the rest of your life because now you associate your silence being broken with rejection. So I I was just lucky that my, that my girlfriend at the time welcomed me. Lucky. That's all it is. And I don't recommend luck to people. So... Um, I, my, the whole notion of like the method that I tell people to do is to break the silence to yourself first and as many different ways as possible. And then you tell somebody else. So rather than telling somebody else be step one, had that be step 22 and the first 21 times you are, whether it's, it can literally be anything. As long as you got the emotions at the forefront of your heart and the thoughts at the forefront of your mind, you then express them because vocal is one form of expression, right? If you get a blank canvas Right, you know, if you go to an art gallery, you see a blank canvas. Well, you see a canvas, and there's just different colors of paint that's been splattered on it. Some people will think, "How is that art?" But how do you not know that that painter has lived in silence for 22 years, and the way that they broke the silence to themselves is that piece of art that you're looking at. Every single splat of paint is a form of expression that they've had locked away in the cage for so many years. Right now, if you can take the notion behind that, but thread that into writing a poem, writing a a piece of music right journaling doing you know even and literally it may sound ridiculous but it works even going to make it like a pottery class and you're painting a piece of pottery or you're molding a vase for example right that becomes a that resembles you breaking your silence in a form and then when it's time to you know you've done it 21 times and it comes to your 22nd time and you want to tell somebody completely different because now you're doing it in a position of power right you're you're sharing Mm -hmm. your story for you but the thing here is for all those different ways of you sharing the story to yourself first in different ways and different forms what that is doing to you is it's causing you to confront your story every single time and every single time you confront your story you're taking ownership over what happened and you take ownership over the feelings now you're getting more in tune with your feelings right you're experiencing them more you're seeing how they're flowing through you you're seeing why there's anger there Okay, and you're seeing how that anger is controlling you. You then realize that you're fucking yourself up because of the anger, right? Not them, not the abusers, right? That you know, it's got nothing to do with them anymore. You're the one with sword that has anger in you. So then it's about okay, well, how can I release the, this anger through these forms of breaking my silence, through these the the the, the acts of sharing the story? So that's mm-hmm. the main, that's the main first step. I always tell people to do is to do that. Then once you do that, like, for example, if I open up my book here 
and we have a look. So my book is split into three chapters, right? So the first, cha- um, sorry, three parts. The first part is my story in breaking my silence. Um, the second part of the book, there's 14 stories in there of survivors of abuse. Half of them are named. It's so like Kelly being one of them. The other half are unnamed. They don't want to attach their name to it. They want to remain anonymous. And then the last page in part two is your story. So you can get a pen, you can write your story into the book and you become the 15th survivor, right? And then we have part three of the book and it's the steps that one can take to break their silence and take ownership over the story. So walking through them now, okay, we've got owning your story. Tony Robbins says a lot, change your story, change your life. That does work, that's great. But what I have found for people who have been through abuse and living with trauma is that having them change their story, in essence, they're running away from what happened to them. They haven't actually claimed ownership over what they've been through yet because they want to change their story because they don't want to live that life anymore. They want somebody else's life, right? But first, you need to take ownership over your story because only once you take ownership, you take ownership over your life. So we've got owning your story. We've got finding forgiveness. We have letting go. Now, letting go becomes a lot easier once you've found forgiveness and you've taken ownership over your story. We have, I've got a chapter in here talking about masculinity. Yes, masculinity a lot is for the men. Like my dad, my dad was a Cockney man. His mum was born in East London over the, under the Bow Bells, which is the only way to truly be Cockney. So he was a proper man's man. That's why he took it to the grave with him because, you know, for a lot of men, like, like the societal stereotypical men, Speaking mm-hmm. about being abused is like suicide. They don't, you know, that 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 completely smashes to pieces their identity. So that's why I talk a lot about masculinity in there. And actually, uh, I think that's huge. I talk a lot about on the podcast about men being suffering in silence the most and having the highest yeah. suicidal rates because they they were they're taught from a young age to just bottle everything up, which is what obviously your dad did and. So people turn to like drugs and alcohol and all the other things. So I think that's huge and super, super important. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. The coping mechanisms like drugs and alcohol, like sex, like work is to cope from something Mm -hmm. that they're unable to cope with. So 100%. And then uh, then we have self-love, the act of self-love, which is hard to do when you've been abused because you're like, why on earth would you love yourself if somebody else can't love you why on earth would you love yourself when somebody has abused your personal space it's very hard to love yourself right so i talk a lot about self-love in there and then lastly i talk a lot about shifting your identity so you know there's questions and exercises that you can go through with all of those points and then the last one being shifting your identity because it's like well okay i am me now i've owned my story but now who do i want to become do I want to become somebody who wants to change the world with their story? Do I want to become somebody who can sit down with my entire family, abusers included, right? Who do I want to be? So now it's about, okay, well, let's shift identity. Let's shed this, this skin of this person who doesn't serve me anymore into the person who I need to become. That's amazing. By the way, are you sure you're your age? Because I think that you're maybe a lot older than you chronologically look or are saying that you are. <laughs> no, I, I get yeah. um, that's just life, I think, isn't it? Can we talk? Can we make a little shift towards the end? Because I want to find out where this book is sounds amazing. I'm going to go buy it and read it. How how do did my follow or my listeners um get it is it on amazon yeah so the book is on amazon all you need to put in there is breaking the silence and uh that should be one of the first ones that come up worst case scenario breaking the silence perry power and then the book will come up okay so perry power breaking the silence let me ask you as well are you you talked about like acting are you still doing that or is this your main focus right now no i i don't think i could I don't think I could be on this planet if uh, acting was not part of, you know, like we have passion, we have purpose in life. And if yeah. and if we're missing one of them, you know, it, it's not going to work. So my purpose is what I do here, right? What I do for others. My passion is what I do for me. And uh, acting is, yeah, it has been, you know, I, you know, Hollywood movies, that whole picture is 100% what's going to happen. You know, my eyes have been set on mm-hmm. it ever since I was a kid. I, I went down a path of, get an agent put you forward for auditions i thought that's the only way to do it but i don't like control mm-hmm. i don't like waiting on people so i ended up sacking that all in i was like there's got to be a different way let me just create my own platform so it's a long way of doing it but uh 
I end up saying to myself, right, what I'm going to do is my journey of sleeping on a floor in a house with no furniture with my dog, then having to put my dog down and going through depression and suicidal thoughts, then my dad passing away, breaking my silence, writing a book, helping other people speak out to you and raising awareness around intrafamilial abuse and the the silence that it thrives in. Why don't I turn that into a true story, a dramatic movie that will be in film festivals that, you mm-hmm. know, will, you know, maybe win Oscars, who knows, see where it goes. But a movie, Spotlight being an inspiration for me, how Spotlight is a true film, and it's like a research type film done in a very good way to raise awareness is exactly what I want to do with this film. So I teamed up with somebody who is an actress who I became friends with, who read my book, who then got to the masculinity chapter and realized that her mum had been sexually abusing her all of her entire life, right? And now I'm doing a movie with her. So we've, you know, we've written it, we've got a production company on board in LA we've got a producer on board so it's a very long process we're already a year in it's a it's definitely not an overnight mm-hmm. thing it take it could take years but that's what's happening now is working on that movie uh what else we got the movie we got I've done a TEDx talk I've got a charity in America called We Rescue Kids so what we do is we give therapy to child survivors of sexual abuse and sex trafficking I have a charity in the UK. Well, it's currently an organization waiting to get charity status. And that's called the Andy Project. Andy being my dad's name. And I launched it on a five-year anniversary of his death. So June the 1st this year that we're in now. And that is a charity that provides mental health support for male survivors of intrafamilial abuse. And um, so I've got those two. And then what I'm going to be doing now as well this year is bringing We Rescue Kids from America and branching it out to the UK because I'm currently in conversation with somebody who works for the NHS. She's a nurse and she's deep into it. And she says about how a lot of work needs to be done for um, children in the system. So um, so I need to bring that over here into the UK and implement that to help the NHS out and shorten the waiting time so kids don't feel like they're being pushed to one side and not cared about. So there's a lot of work going on. Um, and then we got. Well, I love I love that you're doing all that stuff. And I think it's so important. Um, my husband was a child actor and we live in Los Angeles. And, you know, I was I moved here to sing and act. And, and it's when you have the creative outlet, especially when you're it's it's freeing. You know, that's part of why I do this. I was creative the first half of my life. And then I stopped and I went into corporate America and to be able to, you know, help other people and do the things that you're doing and then also turn your story into something that could you could be creative at, but also potentially help other people is what it's all about. I, that's, um, that's like I, said, I didn't know you was in L.A., by the way. So we have to definitely um, I wanted yeah, to come up LA, to L.A. this so we'll year. So. To, oh, good. I get to meet you in person. I, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, and I, maybe I should connect you with my husband cause he can tell you some stories. <laughs> um, but I, I adore meeting you. I think you're just, you know, sometimes we, it's a weird thing in life, how the hardest things and the worst things that happen to people, I've been doing this now for a while. I've met the most incredible people. So just because you've gone through trauma, it does not define you. Um, it, it's, it's what you do with that, mm. you know, and, and the ability that you have kind of taught me today, that is something I really struggle with, which, which is forgiveness. And then when you talk about how it's a lifelong process, yeah. getting through trauma, it you'll probably never a hundred percent be over it. I know I will never a hundred percent be over it. I have my good days and my bad days, mm. but to be able to talk about it and help other people is healing. And that's what you should be doing and what we should all be doing. So I am so grateful. Where can my, my, why do I keep say followers? I don't know what's wrong with me today. I sound like I'm some weirdo. Where can my listeners find you on social media? So they can find me on TikTok. I am Perry Power. Instagram, I am Perry Power. Facebook, Perry Power. And uh, I have a free Facebook group called The Power Tribe. So it's about turning victims into survivors and survivors into warriors so if you're looking for a place to break your silence share your story or not even speak but just observe 
other survivors mm -hmm. speaking out, then you can just join a Facebook group called The Power Tribe. Perry, you're amazing. I am so grateful to meet you. I, I'm looking forward to staying in touch. And thank you for all that you do. And thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. In closing, be happy by making other people happy. And you're doing that, Perry. So thank you. Thanks.